of those um, 100 guitars, 1,000 guitars. If I were out there and not involved, I would want to go and hear 100 guitars, being a guitar lover and player myself, but 1,000? I would drive a long ways to hear 1,000 guitars praising God. Amen? He ordered one hamburger, one order of french fries, and one drink. The old man unwrapped the plain hamburger and carefully cut it in half. He placed one half in front of his wife. He then carefully counted out the french fries, dividing them into two piles, and neatly placed one pile in front of his wife. He took a sip of the drink, his wife took a sip, and then set the cup down between them. As he began to eat his few bites of hamburger, the people around them kept looking over and whispering. You could tell they were thinking that poor old couple, all they can afford is one meal for the two of them. As the man began to eat his fries, a young man, moved with compassion, got up and came to the table. He politely offered to buy another meal for the old couple. The old man said they were just fine. They were used to sharing everything. The surrounding people noticed the little old lady had not eaten a bite. She sat there watching her husband eating and occasionally took turns sipping the drink. Again, the young man came over and begged them to let him buy another meal for them. This time, the old woman said, No, thank you. We're used to sharing everything. As the old man finished and was wiping his face neatly with the napkin, the young man again came over to the little old lady who had yet to eat a single bite of food and asked, What is it you are waiting for? She answered, The teeth. <laughs> ah, I like that one. All right, let's stand up together, can we, and turn to Second Chronicles. Some of you can identify with that but we won't ask for a show of hands. <laughs> Second Chronicles, chapter 20. And I'm continuing the series today, Worship in Full Color. I have made up my mind to share messages with you starting the beginning of the year that I know if we will do them, will change our life. We will reach the end of 2006 stronger spiritually than we've ever been before in our entire lives. I'm believing God to inject this church with spiritual dynamo, with spiritual might. And all it's going to take is us obeying the Word. How many of you would like to be changed this year? <clears throat> stronger spiritually this year. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. <clears throat> it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon... And others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon, Tamar, or Tamar, and other places. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered to ask help from 
the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah they came to seek, to seek the Lord. Father, we thank you today that there is incredible power in worship. I'm asking you, Lord, to make this to be a worshiping church unlike it's ever been before. A worshiping people, a singing people, a praising people. I thank you, Lord, that the power is within us and it will be released from us in Jesus' name. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, make me a worshiper like I've never been before. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, that was a dangerous prayer. You're a target now. Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. Now, I'm going to call this today, Worship Will Win Your War. We've been sharing the last, uh, last Sunday. Well, now, most of you were not here last Sunday. There were about a hundred of us. We praised God. We had good church. But I know most of you couldn't get here. And, uh, but we've been sharing on worship. Because I know worship will change your life. Some of the most powerful encounters I've ever had with God ever have been in the context of worship. God has called every one of you to be a worshiper of God, not just an acknowledger of the existence of God, not just a saved person, but God has called you to be a worshiper. Birds were made to fly. Dogs were made to bark. Christians were made to worship. You've been called to worship God. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, that's just not my personality. Ah, but God made you to worship Him. And I thought it wasn't my personality either until the Holy Spirit got a grip on me and moved me into the realm of worship and I received my calling from God in the context of worship. All of us have been called to worship. We ought to worship all week long. Last time we met together, I shared that we need to pause to praise, to think, to thank, to will, to worship. It's a de decision. David said over and over again, I will rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. I will to rejoice and be glad in it. God has called all of us with a will. We can will to worship just like we can will not to. And so I want us to say together, praise the Lord. <clears throat> Now, you were called to do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and you ought to be walking into church on Sunday morning overflowing with your worship sessions with God all week long. Church ought to be an overflow of the residue from our own private worship sessions during the week. You ought to praise Him in rush hour traffic. That's a good time to think to thank and pause to praise and will to worship. Won't you be rare out there if you're praising God when everybody else is cursing? <clears throat> God's called us to worship. Now we read in Second Chronicles 17, verse 6, of King Jehoshaphat. We're told that he was a good king in Judah. It says his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord courageous in the ways of the Lord. He was a king after God's own heart. Verse 10 tells us that in those days, the way the Lord protected Jehoshaphat was that no enemy was allowed to rise against him. It says, And the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat because the Bible says 
If your ways please the Lord, He'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. But in chapter 20, just three chapters later, God loosens His sovereign grip on the nations around Judah and allows the enemies of Jehoshaphat to come against Him. Verse 1 says, After this the Moabites and the Ammonites and others with them came against Jehoshaphat for battle. It was a huge army. Verse 2 tells us that Jehoshaphat received intelligence that a massive force of combined armies had joined hands to destroy Judah. Quote, a great multitude, he was told, is coming against you from beyond the sea. This took place just one chapter from Jehoshaphat appointing regional judges throughout the whole land of Judah to secure justice in legal matters with Jerusalem as the central court of appeals. This was another step in Jehoshaphat's attempts to bring order and godliness and honor to Judah. But there was a problem with Jehoshaphat's recent past. You see, he had made a huge mistake. Now, most of you were here when I preached on the subject of friends. And I want you to notice another shiny example from the Bible, how a wrong allegiance can so soil and spoil a godly walk. He made an ungodly alliance with a pagan king at the height of his power. Scripture says that when Jehoshaphat had riches and God had given him honor in abundance, the Bible says by marriage he allied himself with wicked King Ahab. Marriages were often politically motivated in Old Testament times, and his son marrying Ahab's daughter was a political move, but it proved to be a snare to Jehoshaphat. He never knew when he allied himself with this evil king what it was going to do with his own walk. The Bible tells us about Ahab. Ahab was one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. The Bible says of him, but there was no one like Ahab, not anybody in the history of the kings, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. Through Ahab and Jezebel, the entire land of Israel was polluted with Baal worship. They slaughtered the prophets of God. They defiled and soiled God's people with their ungodliness. One day after the marriage, Jehoshaphat visited wicked King Ahab. And like an unsuspecting animal being lured into a trap, he allowed Ahab to wine and dine him with ulterior motives. Scripture says Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him. And he denied a Bible principle that says, do not eat the bread of one who has an evil eye nor desire his delicacies, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up, and you vomit that morsel up the day you realize why he whined and dined you and that you have been taken for a fool. Because sooner or later you're going to discover they had other motives, and they were only manipulating you. But he failed to obey that verse. And next it says that Ahab revealed what he was really after when he asked Jehoshaphat to join him in a battle that wasn't his to fight. Ahab believed that the lands of Ramoth and Gilead were his to take 
And he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Proverbs warns, he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like somebody who takes a dog by the ears. You ever taken a dog by the ears? I read this verse and I have four dogs, as you know. And I walked up to the biggest one and started to take his ears and said, I don't need that confirmation. Because I know what happens when you take a dog by the ears. They don't like it. You get bitten. And when you involve yourself in a battle that is not yours, you might as well grab a dog by the ears because it's going to bite you. Jehoshaphat's response shows that in his ungodly alliance with Ahab, he'd forgotten who he was. And that's what happens when you hook up with the wrong people. Before long, you forget who you are. There's a little saying you ought to say everywhere you go. You ought to tell yourself this repeatedly. Remember who you are. You're a child of the King. You're a child of Jesus. You're a child of God. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You ought to remind yourself of that because if you start running with the wrong people, you merge with them and melt into them and become like them and you forget who you were spiritually, which is the one thing you ought always to remember. Jehoshaphat's response to this request to go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, which was not in God's will for him, is incredible. He says to Ahab, I am as you are, and my people as your people. But that was a lie. He was not anything like Ahab, and his people were nothing like Ahab. Jehoshaphat was a godly king who loved the ways of God. He had a testimony in the land. Ahab was utterly pagan, a defiler of God's people, and was under judgment from God. Jehoshaphat and Ahab were poles apart, but Jehoshaphat was forgetting who he was, and he was growing further and further and further, snared in the trap that was being laid for him by an ungodly friendship. To make matters even worse, he then listened to Ahab's false prophet, who said, go up to Ramoth Gilead. God's going to give it to you. Yes, yes, go up. He had one sliver of discernment left, and he said, I want to hear from a real prophet, not these 400 false prophets, and they brought Micaiah to him. And Micaiah looked right at Ahab and right at Jehoshaphat, who were sitting next to each other, and said, I see in the Spirit Israel scattered through the field of battle. And he turned to Ahab and said, You will not return alive. You will never return to your house somebody standing next to Micaiah, the true prophet of God, hauled off and slapped him. They took him away, put him in a dungeon, fed him bread and water. And Jehoshaphat, amazingly, ignored the warnings of a real prophet of God, and he went off into battle. And before they went off into battle, Ahab revealed what he'd really been after, not just that Jehoshaphat would join league with him in a battle that God hadn't called him to. But he said this to him. I'm quoting the Bible. I will disguise myself, said Ahab, and go into battle. But you put on your robes. And Jehoshaphat did it. You say, well, what in the world was that about? Ahab knew that he was a marked man. Ahab knew that they were out to get him. And he looked at Jehoshaphat, a king after God's own heart, and said, guess what? I'm going to go out there in disguise, but I want you to dress in kingly robes. This man was bewitched. 
Jehoshaphat was under a spell. Anybody who would say at that point, sure, let me go out there like a great big bullseye and let them shoot me and let you, an evil king, live. I want you to catch this picture. Here's the king of Judah, known for walking in the ways of David, who had rejected Baal worship, which Ahab, by the way, loved who had sent teachers of Scripture. The Bible tells us he sent teachers of Scripture all throughout the land of Judah that his people might understand the ways of God. In the days of Jehoshaphat, it was a never-ending Bible study in Judah. Teachers sent everywhere by a righteous king to teach the people the ways of the Lord so that they might walk in light and not darkness. He took delight in the ways of the Lord, and so he pleased God so greatly that not one of God's enemies attacked him. Because of him, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord was on all the lands surrounding Judah. He had brought the fear of the Lord on the entire region in which he lived. This righteous king is now going into an ungodly battle with an ungodly king, following ungodly counsel from ungodly prophets and wearing the colorful robes of Ahab who was setting him up for death. To take the arrows intended for him. As the enemy rushed in upon him, he came to himself. That's a good time to come to yourself. As the enemy entered the field, what they did not know is the king of Syria had already told his men, now, when you go out there to battle, don't even fool with the foot soldiers. Find the king and kill him. So the whole battle, as far as Syria was concerned, was all about exposing the king, finding him, and killing him. They weren't even after the soldiers. So here comes Jehoshaphat in the king's robes. D.C. He came to himself, looked up, and what do you think his prayer was? you think it was fancy? you think his prayer was long and flowery and eloquent? No! Say it with me, everybody. Help! <laughs> oh, God is such a good God. It says, He cried out to the Lord as they were advancing on Him, and the Lord helped Him, and it says, quote, God diverted them from Him. And one of the soldiers, this is amazing to me, because when God wants to get you, He'll get you. One of the soldiers just pulled the bow, and the Bible says at random, let the arrow fly. And the finger of God grabbed that arrow, and it plunged right through the armor into Ahab's heart, and he died. Well, that's a bad day at the office for any king. And the Bible says, then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned safely to his house in Jerusalem, but the damage was already done. Jehu the seer went out to meet him and said, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. And then he walked away. It is not many months following this confrontation that Jehoshaphat received intelligence of this great army coming at him. So we've got to know, folks, knowing human beings and knowing human nature, that when he heard the army was coming against him, he remembered the words of the prophet, The wrath of the Lord has gone out on you. The wrath of the Lord is upon you. So surely... He immediately thought, uh-oh, here it is, the wrath of the Lord. He's always kept this army from me, but now they're coming after me because I sold out, made an ungodly allowance, compromised my faith, put myself in a position of being destroyed, and if not for the mercy of God, I would have been. 
In chapter 20, Jehoshaphat did three things as soon as he heard the news of this army coming. It says, first of all, he set himself to seek the Lord. When there is a great army coming against you, if it's financial, if it's marital, if it's enemies from without or enemies from within, the best thing you can do is set your face to seek the Lord. Because he's not up there saying, oh no, I didn't know that was coming. I didn't know the devil was going to do that to you. No, we know from the story in the New Testament when the enemy's going to come against us, Jesus knows about it, just like he knew about the attack on Simon Peter. And he said, Simon, Simon, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And then when you have been restored, you will strengthen the brethren. The Lord is never surprised, never shocked. The thing to do when you get attacked is seek the Lord. Don't dial some weird psychotic psycho hotline and ask them to give you some kind of supernatural word there's only one clear good clean word for you in the time of attack and god has that word for you you need to hear from god when you're under attack you need to hear from god when he's attacking your when the, the devil's attacking your home you need to hear from god when the devil is trying to attack your money you need to hear from god when you're under temptation and fire and going through a valley and going through a difficult time because the Lord has a word for you. He'll speak to you in the midnight hour. He set himself to seek the Lord. Second thing he did, he admits to God. He admits to God that he's powerless and clueless. Listen to what he says. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You seek the Lord and then tell Him you don't know what to do. Because God's got the answer. He's got the strategy. He knows the schemings of the enemy against your life. And He'll give you one word. One word from God can stand you on your feet. One word from God can clear the fog. One word from God can strengthen you and get you on the right path again. You need a word from God. So He says, Lord, we're powerless. This army is overwhelming. We don't know what to do. They're overwhelming. And we're clueless. We have no wisdom. We don't know how to answer this. And then the Bible says the third thing he did, he focused on God. He said, but, but, in light of the fact that we don't know what to do, and we're powerless against this great army, our eyes are on you. Doubt looks within. Fear looks in front of you. Faith looks upward. He said, our eyes are on you. We don't have any other answer, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When you look at Him, focus on Him, turn your faith on Him, the problems get smaller, God gets bigger, the problems are minimized, God is magnified. That's why we're talking about worshiping God. Our eyes are on you, Lord. Here we are. The entire nation is gathered in Jerusalem. They are quaking. They don't know what to do. But their eyes are on God. Even the little children are seeking God. And the Bible says suddenly, from the midst of that huge congregation of people who have been fasting and praying and seeking God, a prophecy came. And the prophecy said, Thus says the Lord to you, 
Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Don't be afraid because your credit cards are maxed out. Don't be afraid if somebody has walked out. Don't be afraid because God is still on His throne. Don't be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle, this is good news, is not yours. I'm going to pause right there. I want you to know that when the enemy attacks you, he attacks him. He's like a great big brother in heaven. I don't know how many of you had little siblings, but there's a protective thing that comes over you when somebody comes against your little brother, your little sister. When they touch them, they touch you. You take it personally. That's the way God is. We are the apple of His eye, the darling of His heart, the love of His soul. When the devil attacks us, we need to know they attack Him. And He's taking it personally. So He says, the battle is not yours, but God's. Then He went on to say, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Amen. And what happened right there? The prophet ended, and right, what happened was a worship explosion. Now, church, I came today with a message from God. Aside from a message from God, I don't have anything to say. But I've got a word from God today that there is power in praise. There is power in worship. And when they heard this word that God was going to fight their battle for them, it became a worship explosion. It says, All of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping, worshiping the Lord. Why weren't they grabbing a sword? Why weren't they grabbing spears? Why weren't they grabbing a shield? Because they knew this was not going to be by might, and this was not going to be by power, but this was going to be by the Spirit of the living God. God was going to give them victory. And they knew that the weapons of their warfare were not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Is anybody hearing me today? Then it says, Then the Levites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. And early the next morning, with a huge, massive, threatening army coming towards them, Jehoshaphat got up, looked up to God, and the Bible says, Appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army with an eight-word hit single that went like this. Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Now that's simple. Let's try it. Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. And here comes this huge army. They say, what are they saying? Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. I don't see any swords. I don't see any glistening shields in the sun. What's the matter with these people? They've lost their minds. No. Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Now hold that picture in your mind a minute. God's people are being attacked by an overwhelming multitude. They are, out, they are outnumbered, outgunned, up against overwhelming odds. There's only one answer. Divine intervention. They've got to have a spiritual breakthrough. So what weapon do they choose? They chose the weapon of praise. 
The Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not man-made. But they're mighty, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And what's a stronghold? It's whatever holds you strong. The weapons in our arsenal do not come from good ideas. They don't come from great talent. They don't come from personal ability. They don't come from high IQ or any other thing that could bring glory to man once the battle is over. They are spiritual and have been given to us as God's people by God Himself. And one of the great weapons is praise. When was the last time when depression tried to wrap itself around your mind? You said, I'm going to pause to praise. I think I'll just think to thank. I believe I'm going to will to worship and just get your hands up in the air and begin to worship the Lord of hosts who is mighty and powerful and greater than your depression. He's greater than your fear. He's greater than your marital defeat. He's greater than the temptation. He's greater than the arch enemy of your soul. He's greater. And when we praise Him, we release the power of the Holy Ghost onto our problems. Scripture reveals that the release of the Holy Spirit against our enemy is our great hope against Satan. Now, I want you to hear me, church, because we live in a day of battle and warfare. Some of you will be engaged in a battle before you reach your house today. We're in a battle with the arch enemy of our soul, Slewfoot, the devil, split hoof, the liar, the deceiver, the father of all lies. He hates you because you love him, and we've got to learn how to defeat him. Can I tell you, Jesus is not coming back for a church barely hanging on by the skin of their chinny-chin-chin. Jesus is coming back for a church that has learned the weapons of our warfare, a praising, singing, worshiping, devil-defeating church who knows how to come in to the presence of God and practice the presence of God. Well then, if, if the release of the Holy Spirit on our problem defeats the devil, then how do I get filled with the Spirit? How do I release the Holy Spirit within me? The Bible gives us the answer. Ephesians 5, 18, 19 says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with all of your heart. Can I give you a little, a little news flash today, church? You're a songwriter. Yeah, you're a melody maker. You say, I've never made up a song in my life. Well, you haven't released the Holy Ghost inside of you. Listen, the Holy Ghost is the one who moved on David and gave us the book of songs, the book of psalms. And that Holy Ghost resides in you. You can make up some little tune. The Bible says the key to releasing the Holy Ghost inside of us is to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Come on, everybody. Pastor Jeff, this is just out of my league. I don't do that kind of thing. No, you don't do that kind of thing. But He in you does. The Phillips Modern English Version puts it this way. Let the Holy Spirit stimulate your souls. Sing among yourselves. Sing among yourselves. Sing among yourselves psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Your voices making music. Your voices making music in your hearts for the ears of the Lord. 
See, I can't sing. When I sing, everybody's standing around me, distances themselves, and finds another chair. That's all right. God doesn't care if you can hit the right chord. He doesn't care if you've got a beautiful voice. He only cares that you lift up your voice. And if you make a joyful noise, make a joyful noise. But you're supposed to make music in your heart to the Lord, and that releases the fullness of the Holy Ghost in you. The Message Bible puts it this way. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink instead the Spirit of God. Huge droughts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. So much for country music. There it went. That's all she wrote for booze plus blues equals heartache. God didn't call us with broken hearts. He gave us healed hearts. So the Bible says, sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. So next time the devil attacks, just say, you just gave me an excuse. He said, any excuse you can find, sing a song to God. So when he comes and tempts you, say, you just gave me an excuse. Hallelujah, I'm going to sing and make melody in my heart to the Lord. If you find yourself waking up in a bad mood, he just gave you an excuse to sing praise to the Lord. Say, Pastor, this sounds Pentecostal. This is not Pentecostal. This is Bible. Well, it's not the way I was raised. Well, you were raised wrong. I love that. Any excuse for a song to God, the Father. Most of us look for an excuse, a reason to complain and murmur. No, no, no. That's what lost people do. He says, now that you're found, look for an excuse to praise God. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is experienced through a heart filled with singing. So if we fight Satan by the fullness of the Spirit, guess what? We fight him with a song. If you've read Dick Eastman's book, The Hour That Changes the World, you may recall Mary Slosser, who worked in China for many years. She used to say, I sing the doxology and dismiss the devil. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above you, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You get that far, the doxology, and the devil is dismissed from the room. Come on, everybody. Amy Carmichael wrote, I believe truly that Satan cannot endure praise. And so he slips out of the room, more or less, when there is a true song in our hearts. Martin Luther gave this testimony, Music is a fair and lovely gift of God, which has often wakened and moved me to the joy of preaching. Music drives away the devil and makes God's people joyful. We know that to the devil, worship is distasteful and insufferable. When I was standing there, it occurred to me, instead of Satan giving us hell, let's give Satan heaven. And you give him heaven by worshiping God, where when the anointing comes into the room, he can't stay. William Law, in his spiritual classic, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life, has a whole chapter to encourage us to chant the Psalms in our private devotion. He says, just as singing is a natural effect of joy in the heart, so it has also a natural power of rendering the heart joyful. 
There is nothing that so clears away for your prayers, nothing that so disperses dullness of heart, nothing that so purifies the soul, nothing that so opens heaven, so carries your heart so near to heaven as songs of praise. Bless God, I just wait for the worship service on Sunday. Then I give God my tithe. Guess what your tithe is? Your tithe is to worship Him in the morning, Monday. Praise Him in the afternoon, Tuesday. Give Him thanks, Wednesday. Praise Him all week long. Praise Him when the enemy attacks. Praise Him when He doesn't attack. Praise Him when you're perplexed over a problem. Praise Him when you're not. Praise Him when it seems something is being held back from you in the spirit world. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. Because as you praise Him, you have released the greatest power on earth and in heaven into your problem. And that is the power of the Holy Ghost. And the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so if I stay in praise, then I stay strong. Because if I'm praising Him, I am filled with joy. It's no wonder that Satan hates the songs of God's people. He does his best to keep a church from being a singing church. He loves churches that sing about him, but don't sing to him. Because the minute you learn the key of singing to him, then you fall in love with he who you cannot see, but who died for your sins and rose from the dead. Praise is the quickest and shortest distance between you and God. The minute you begin to praise him, he's there. He does his best, that is the enemy, to keep you from being a singing person. He doesn't want you to sing. He doesn't want you to praise. It was me seeing, worshiping people when I was barely 18 years old. I was taken to a Bible study, the Jesus movement. I'd never seen anybody worship God. I walked in, here's guys worshiping God. Long hair just like me, skinny as a rail just like me, wire rim glasses, ex-hippies, ex-dopers, ex-this and that, worshiping God, tears streaming down their face, looking at somebody they could not see as if they could see Him. And I remember thinking to myself and saying out loud, God, if I can have that, I'll give up anything. And the Holy Ghost hit me like a sledgehammer. And I felt overwhelmed and overpowered by the powerful love of God. And I learned, I learned guitar just so I could worship God alone. I learned CGF. If heaven ever got tired of hearing Kumbaya, it was through me. I sang Kumbaya in the morning, Kumbaya at noon, Kumbaya in the evening, Kumbaya was my top 40 hit tune. I love Kumbaya, CGF, CFG. <laughs> but do you know what? I had some powerful times with God in my little apartment all by myself just singing Kumbaya. Then I learned He is Lord. Heaven said, thank God. <laughs> and then I really moved on up when I learned God is so good because I could say different things with God is so good. He forgave me, he healed me, he this and that. And I learned how to worship God. And it was in the midst of worshiping God when nobody was looking, when nobody was around, that he set my heart on fire to preach. He said, I wish I knew my call. Seek the caller. 
And the best way to seek Him is just to have a benefit. I hear Christians, well, I'm afraid. We have fear fit. We have doubt fit. We have worry fit. Why not just let it all go and have a benefit? And have a benefit praising God all by yourself until you have to say, Lord, if you don't stop, I'm going to pop. And then come to church that way. Crazy, baby. What's the matter with you? Man, I had a worship session this week. You mean we're not going to have to get you to water level and bring you on up from there? You're not looking to Steve to save you and me to preach you back to life? You're already alive? Yep, because I had a time with God this week, and it just got richer as the days went by. I'm learning to praise God. We have two great weapons in worship. The Word of God and song. So let's give heed to the Word of God and sing with all of our heart. Now listen to what happened to these people. Here they are approaching the army. And the Bible records that when Judah began to sing and to praise, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were defeated not by swords or spears or shields or anything, but by praise. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. The enemy that was unified against God's people became the enemies of each other. God sent confusion among them. Do you want to confuse hell? Praise God. Do you want to perplex demons? Praise God. Do you want to give the devil a bad day? Praise God. Do you want to make the enemy regret that he attacked you? Praise God. Look what it says. All of a sudden, they, like crazy people, began to turn on each other. You're my enemy. You're my, I don't like the way you look. How in the world did I join this battle with you to go against them? And they began to fight each other. And the Bible says they helped to destroy each other. Judah walked down to all these people who had destroyed each other. And it took them days just to get the riches. Praise drove the enemy crazy. In the aftermath of this incredible victory, Scripture records that on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, which means blessing, for there they blessed the Lord. Afterward, they returned to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. Jehoshaphat had peace the rest of his days. Read about it. And he was known as the king who conquered with a choir. You know what I want to do right now? I want to practice. Some of you are looking at me the deer stares at his What is this? Praise stuff. We just sing our three hymns, sit down, get three points in a poem, go home. It's not the way God meant for you to do. He wants you to drive the enemy crazy with praise. That's why we praise God when we come in here. I want it to go Monday through Saturday. You, all by yourself. So let's stand up, can we? And then it also good to see 
that God took Je uh, Jehoshaphat's mistake and turned it around and defeated the enemy even though the door was open to the enemy because of what he did. God closed that door the rest of his life when he praised God. Isn't that something? So, now I notice some of you are looking for the exit. It's about to get Pentecostal here in Mildred. That's a good message. Let's go on to the house. Now listen. If you see Kool-Aid, run. No, I'm kidding. I'm, just th I'm wanting to see you get victory instead of the devil beating you around all day, every day. So, so you don't have to put your hands in the air. For me, it was like a lightning rod. Not even half mad. I felt the power of God because it was my pride breaking. Because I was a guy. Guys didn't do this. The girls did. And when I walked in, all the guys were doing it there that night. And so I got about half mass, looked around. Nobody was making fun. When you get to the where you don't care who's looking, and you just praise him, just praise him. So you don't have to lift your hands, but I want us to just pray. I want us to say, the Lord for His mercy endures forever. That eight-word hit that they sang against all those enemies. Can we just do it, Lord? Just thank you. Go ahead and just begin to thank the Lord. Forget about the person next to you. Praise Him. He's got the victory. Praise Him that what is coming against you is nothing God. Praise Him that He's stronger than the marital problems. Stronger than the financial problems. He's stronger than the devil. He's stronger than the arch enemy. He's stronger than the wall that is built up against you, that you're trying to get a breakthrough and it's not there. It's bigger than that wall. He is stronger. He's mightier. He's almighty God. He's everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. He is our joy. He is our strength. He is our helper. He is our peace. He is our provider. He is our healer. Just go ahead and let it go and begin to thank God just between you and God. Go ahead and just begin to praise and worship the Lord. Thank Him for the He's answered. Thank Him for the good things He's done. If nothing else, thank Him that you're saved. So go ahead. Just praise the Lord. Make melody in your heart and just praise the Lord. Go ahead and release yourself to the place of worship. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Praise you, Lord. Your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Lord, that anointing is being released. Right now, the power is breaking through right now. The Holy Ghost is in this place right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. 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 Go ahead and just pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, we praise you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you. Your mercy endures. Forever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Go ahead and peace yourself, church. Some of you are going to break through today, the first time in your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The first time.
in your life. Praise your mighty name. Praise your mighty name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Spirit, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 